0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, the House of Commons holds an emergency late-night sitting on the ravages of the pandemic's third wave in Canada, what more the federal government should be doing to try to bring it under control. MPs will be here to debate that. COVID conflict in Ontario. Top science experts are calling for tougher measures to curb the third wave in the province. But is the government listening? On a day when the Premier goes into isolation after a COVID-19 exposure. And a guilty verdict in the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis puts the spotlight once again on racial injustice. Black parliamentarians will join me to discuss the ongoing fight for equality in this country. We'll begin tonight with the ongoing COVID crisis in parts of Canada as the third wave of the pandemic keeps spreading and the strain on provincial health care systems keeps growing. The New Democrats pushed today for the Prime Minister to invoke the Emergencies Act to step in uh, to the province of Ontario where the Ford government is under fire for its pandemic response and Conservatives pressed again on vaccine supply today and travel restrictions in question period.
1: We're in a race against variants in this third wave and we're losing because we didn't have the vaccines needed in January and in February. In fact, we still don't. But the Prime Minister is now not even restricting flights from COVID hotspots to stop the entry of new dangerous variants. The Prime Minister failed at the border last year Why is he failing again? The right
2: Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, as I said, we've delivered more than 13.6 million doses of vaccines to provinces and territories. We actually uh, passed by about 50% our targets of delivering 6 million vaccines by the end of March. And we will continue to deliver more and more vaccines to get Canadians through this. Uh, on the borders, we have some of the strongest measures in the world on the borders, uh, but we will also continue to look at other ways based on science and data to keep Canadians Safe. Uh, importation from the border is a fraction uh, of the cases we're coming in, but we will still uh, make sure we are doing everything necessary to keep Canadians safe.
0: And Canada may be getting more vaccine help from the United States. The Prime Minister and President Biden spoke for about 30 minutes today. Canada has already received 1.5 million doses of AstraZeneca vaccine from the U.S., which now has an abundance of supply. The President suggesting today more doses for Canada will be on the way.
2: We're looking at uh, what is going to be done uh, um, with some of the vaccines that we are not using. We've got to make sure they are safe to be sent. And uh, we hope to be able to be of some help and value to uh, countries uh, around the world. I've talked to our neighbors. Matter of fact, uh, a fellow who is working really hard to take care of his country and deal with this. I was on the phone with him for about half an hour today, and uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, we helped a little bit there. We're going to try to help some more.
0: So challenges on the domestic pandemic front are mounting. Questions about vaccine supply and rollout and public health orders, and the federal government facing calls to look at banning international flights from India in particular, where a new variant may be fueling a massive outbreak of cases in that country. That variant... Uh, has now been detected in Canada for the first time in a case in Quebec reported today. Let's bring in three members of Parliament now to discuss the latest developments on all of this. Greg Fergus is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Prime Minister. Eric Duncan is an Ontario Conservative MP and the Question Period Coordinator for the Official Opposition. And Lindsay Matheson is an Ontario New Democrat MP and her party's Deputy Whip. Should have said uh, Greg Fergus is a Quebec Liberal MP. So good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Mr. Fergus, let me start with you. The debate's focused on where to place the blame a lot these days for a third wave that is ravaging many provinces. Is it vaccine supplies? Is it how the provinces are identified? administering vaccines, is it a lack of proper restrictions? The country's in a tough place, so how can political leaders get us through this?
2: Well, I think the way the political leaders can get us through this is to cooperate and work together, which uh, the provinces and the, the federal government have been doing since day one. I think if we were to look back, uh, Peter, uh, back uh, to the early days of the pandemic, you saw that Canadians were really impressed how we all came together to work uh, together to making sure that we can all get through this. Do you think that's this been is lost a res- now? I'm sorry? Do you think
0: that's been lost now, that cooperation?
2: Well, I, I think you know. I think cooperation between the provinces and the and the federal government has has been excellent. Our officials meet every day. We're making sure that we're coordinating uh, the vaccines that are coming into the country. We've been doing our uh, doing very well in bringing in more vaccines than we had originally scheduled, uh, so that we can get jabs into people's arms, uh, so that they can get that protection, which is necessary to bring down the uh, bring down the rate. All right, Mr. Right. Mr.
0: Duncan, uh, Conservatives are blaming the st- the st- State of the third wave and where we are uh, largely on uh, either inaction or the wrong actions by the government, including on vaccine supply. Um, But the vaccine supply was known back in January. In fact, it's been exceeded, as Mr. Fergus points out, Uh, not without delays. Let's be clear about that. But I'm wondering if you think provinces have done enough to manage that vaccine supply by making sure they're vaccinating the right populations at the right time and putting in the right restrictions and even benefits in place till everybody's protected.
1: So, Peter, on the the goals and the targets that the government set for themselves, respectfully, when you're talking about having in the first quarter, two percent of Canadians fully vaccinated, I mean, the goalpost is so low, you can almost trip over it. And I think you take a look at the U.S. and the U.K. models in terms of how they ramped up vaccinating in the U.S. more people per day than were done in the entire pandemic for many parts and still in that case, happening in many different ways.
0: I mean, they're now Uh, starting to talk about oversupply in the US to the point where the president's talking about sending more vaccine to Canada.
1: Absolutely, and I'll show you the the example. We talk about what more can we do. I'll give Brian Pallister in Manitoba credit, working with the North Dakota governor to get 4,000 truck drivers, both doses of vaccines in the next six weeks. The provincial leaders, our premiers are showing more leadership working with the United States and neighboring governments to help get more of our population. And I mean, I okay. you have to get the line. You just have to roll your eyes at a couple of weeks ago, Peter, when there are zoo animals in the United States, they're going to get vaccinated before Canadians. All right, let me, so let I me. think there is an oversupply in that. And there's, federal leadership is needed. Okay. The premier is stepping in where the federal government should be.
0: Lindsay Matheson, uh, I'm not sure you see it the same way in, in the province of Ontario. You want Your party wants the Prime Minister to invoke the Emergencies Act and get more involved in the pandemic response in the province. What should the federal government do uh, that the government of Ontario is not doing?
3: well uh, this is actually a perfect example of what greg was talking about in terms of working together if the liberal party would actually listen to some of the the good uh ideas that new Democrats have uh, this is one of them that the Putting forward of the emergency act would allow uh, better coordination of that ro- uh, the vaccine rollout, getting it to uh, people who are underserved, um, who in 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 neighborhoods um, uh, where you know they're, they're frontline workers, they're essential workers, uh, and have the highest uh, amount of uh, breakouts or or, or um, cases of COVID 19. Um, it would put all hands uh, on deck in terms of being able to get that through for the people who need it. it would Would allow for the emergency paid sick leave uh, and for the government, the federal government, to step in because unfortunately, Doug Ford isn't taking uh, that lead on paid sick leave that that people need.
0: Let's bring that. uh, That may be be changing in the province of Ontario on on the sick leave issue. But Mr. Fergus, uh, the experts in Ontario say that the big spread uh, problem is in workplaces and in essential workplaces. And we're going to hear from the head of Ontario's science table in just a moment who says the federal sick leave plan for the pandemic has been a failure. In fact, it's actually making matters worse because it's too complicated and hard to access. What's your response to that?
2: Well, I would say, uh, first of all, I don't, think, I don't think the response should be the emergency uh, approach. I think all hands are on deck. Uh, the federal government has made it very clear that we're willing to help out, especially hard-hit Ontario, uh, and working with other provinces to bring all the resources to bear to get uh, Ontarians uh, vaccinated. My province is Quebec. But I get to see what's happening across the river in, in, in my neighbor in Ontario. Um, we've in this budget we've extended uh, the EI sickness benefit uh, from uh, from the current um, level to uh, 26 weeks. Uh, we've always offered to do whatever we can to help the provinces uh, to to protect their citizens and to get. Right, right, but we're going to hear from the head
0: of the science table in a moment. Is going to say the problem is there's a it's hard to access the federal program and employees are not. Uh, are, are, are going to work sick in essential services because they can't be guaranteed they're going to get a paycheck from their employer, uh, or that they're going to get compensated for the day they miss. So we'll we'll hear more of that in a moment. But Mr. Duncan, let me talk to let me shift airplane flights here. Uh, we now have a, a, a you know what's been happening in Canada over the last couple of weeks. Uh, 100 flights into Canada have carried at least one positive case of COVID-19. 35 of those flights from India. Should we be banning flights from India?
1: Well, the reason we're having to look at this now, again, Peter, is the failure of the Liberal government to get vaccines to provinces. I will say last year we called for strict border measures very early on, and it's very concerning, another variant in India, and what is going along on there. The key to getting out of this about hotspot in different countries – the key model of success that other countries who have been successful in getting case counts getting hospitalizations down is vaccines that needs to be the number one federal thing right now that we need to be doing that needs to be the focus that is the single be- biggest measure right. and it's one that the prime minister this this lib- this third wave is the prime minister's lack of Lindsay leadership Matheson, on this to make it we, very clear
0: should we be uh, banning flights or... in, should we be banning flights from from international destinations
3: um, I would agree with what Eric was saying. Um, this is about getting ahead of things, and this is about getting those vaccines uh, into to people's arms. Um, we we could have been ahead of all of this, and and right now um, the province is talking about only being at 58 percent of uh, uh, efficacy. You can go in, and and they're they're having to um, like the 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 vaccines aren't uh, the uh, clinics aren't full. Um, there are some of the vaccines are going to waste. Uh, and And ultimately that's about the rollout and that's about the efficacy of it so we come back to the fact that um we need to work together with the province especially in ontario my home province um i am terrified for the people in in my area because they aren't getting those frontline okay. workers aren't getting the the vaccines that they need and just I, for, that's I just the,
0: i just want to hear quickly a final from mr fergus on this i the prime minister's talked about uh, possibly looking at more restrictions on on the border and on flights should we be banning flights from india now
2: well, you know, I think Canada has the toughest uh, measures in place where we require people not only to have a, a test before they get on a flight but once they land in Canada they get a test they have to uh, stay in a designated hotel uh, until they get the results of those tests and then they still have to continue uh, isolating themselves right. at home and being verified by people so we're, regardless we're still we still have these so we
0: have still have COVID 19 arriving in the country from international destinations and, but, but if everyone and some, does some their their part… some would say you can't stop and, that
2: it's going to happen at some point, you need to be protected. That's the, that's well, I the think, key. I think the best thing for people okay. to do and is to make sure that we listen to our health uh, care authorities, that they do isolate at home for 14 days if they come right. in from the, uh, from outside of the country to make sure. That's all it takes is those simple measures uh, to making sure that the disease doesn't okay, we're we're have an opportunity to, to, to we'll, uh, take we'll, root in Canada.
0: We'll have a chance to follow this up. Uh, we're we're going to continue talking about this, we know. So uh, Greg Fergus, Eric Duncan, uh, Lindsay Matheson, thanks for your time tonight and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Now to the latest on COVID-19 across the country. Some provinces continuing to face high numbers of new infections and continued strain on their health care systems. Ontario today is reporting 4,212 new infections, a sharp increase over the almost uh, 3,500 cases reported Tuesday. It's also reporting 32 more deaths. Almost 800 COVID patients are in intensive care, the highest number since the pandemic began. Quebec is reporting 1,217 new infections and five more deaths. Canada's chief public health officer says the discussions continue across the country about efforts to send more health workers to the province of Ontario.
2: We do have um, underlying uh, protocols and policies that support mutual aid between provinces and territories. And absolutely, that that is uh, a very live part of the discussion with Ontario right now.
0: Well, let's focus on one of the hardest hit provinces, Ontario. The Premier, Doug Ford, is in isolation after being exposed to a staff member who tested positive. The Premier so far has tested negative. He's facing heavy criticism over his response to the third wave and more calls for the right kind of restrictions and benefits, such as paid sick leave for essential workers to curb the spread of the infection in Ontario. Dr. Peter is the head of Ontario's science table created to advise the Premier on how to tackle COVID-19 this past weekend, he came close to quitting that role, and he's with me now. Uh, Dr. Suni, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me. It's good to see you. Uh, look, new infections in Ontario jumping again, uh, over 4,200 today. Uh, there are a record number of COVID patients in intensive care, almost 800. How close is the province's health system, do you think, to buckling under that continuing strain?
4: I can't possibly tell you. It's It's a really, really challenging situation, and the You know, the major issue here is we need to be aware of even though now we have, you know, a little bit of an indication that the curve is flattening. uh, This doesn't mean that anything changes. You know, right now a continued increase in uh, ICU occupancy is just baked in for several weeks and even which won't happen. We were able to make case numbers plummet from tomorrow onwards, as it has happened, for instance, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. It would still take several weeks during which the uh, the uh, occupancy on in ICUs would go up and up. We will be way above one thousand ICU beds occupied by patients due to COVID nineteen, um, and before things start to go down, even if we get this under control now and start to get these numbers okay. down.
0: So we're in this for a while. Do you believe uh, there are calls here in Ottawa again today that the Prime Minister should invoke the Emergencies Act and take a more active role in the pandemic response in Ontario? You've been critical of that response. Have, have we
4: come to that? Do Do you want? To- to see the Emergencies Act and Ottawa more now, involved. Look, I'm I'm completely incompetent to answer this question. What I can tell you is that um, you know governments all across the world actually are struggling right now. And you know, the point there is, we need to understand that, that um, this wave that we're in, dominated by these new variants of concern that are 40% more transmissible, doesn't allow political compromises anymore. And we're not the only ones who struggle here. We need to be aware of that. What does this mean? You know, during wave one and wave two, where we had just the traditional variants, you could sort of compromise and you have who could have, you know, some considerations that would also just, uh, you know, just make uh, a compromise uh, and a concession uh, regarding some, some uh, political aspects that I'm actually incompetent, you know, to okay. cover. The problem is if you have now uh, an, a variant that is 40% more transmissible, you will not be able to sort of model your way through, you know, with measures that are not completely stringent sure. and uh, that's what's happening now. And it's not only happening here, you know, I'm Swiss originally, I see things again start to go wrong quite a bit in Switzerland, I, I see, uh, you know, people, you know, in, a, in a elected, elected officials just really struggling all over the world to, to do the right thing. The problem is, if you compromise now, you pay it dearly and your people pay it dearly.
0: Okay, let's. the Ford government's been reluctant to implement a legislated paid sick leave program for essential workers because there's a federal program. Uh, now the Premier's reconsidering. Uh, why does Ontario need a legislated paid sick leave if there's a federal program?
4: The federal program is a really challenging concept that doesn't work. We need to face it. I'm afraid to say it was probably counterproductive. Why? Mm -hmm. You need to look at that from a very practical perspective. If I am an essential worker working in a warehouse, for example, and I wake up this morning with a sore throat, I need to be able to call my employer and say, I have a sore throat, I need to stay home, I'm sorry, and I need to have a guarantee that I get my paycheck on Friday. If, it's, if this is not happening this way, the entire concept of paid sick leave falls flat. We have a lot of people in this province who actually are struggling and really just live from paycheck to paycheck to be able you know, to pay the rent, to put food on the table of their kids, etc. Mm. And any threshold you know, that that, that is uh, too high, like a delay in payment or or perhaps, you know, no guarantee that you get paid, or any administrational issues there that doesn't work. If you okay. look into European countries, what you see is a very uncomplicated system. Mm-hmm. It's the employers that pay, and they look after the money later.
0: Okay. The, 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 uh, we, we think Ontario is bringing something in, so we'll, we'll wait and see whether it meets, meets the bill or not. Um, but if we look at, I mean, we, we you have we've we've heard from you a lot in, in the news lately because you've you've spoken out about the the, the shutdown of outdoor activities that uh, the Ford government introduced. You said that wasn't your advice. That was the wrong approach. That we really needed to focus on indoor activities more than outdoor activities, mm. and and you talked about. Uh, you, know, you almost quit your position because you said politics is guiding the pandemic, not science. But you know, a lot of people, this is a political channel, uh, you know, people know that politics is played to get an advantage. So what advantage is the premier getting by making decisions? They're
4: seeing him be attacked by all sides. Yeah, well, again, I'm, I'm unable to comment on that directly. What I just realize is, you know, if you have a situation like the one that we're in, that is really precarious, if you deal with this uh, by, uh, you know, just uh, having, again, political considerations, it will be very challenging to get it under control and this will eventually backfire. I think that's, that's a real issue here. What I saw, you know, end of last week was really um, measures that um, showed that the nature of the pandemic was poorly understood. You know, this pandemic has two major characteristics mm-hmm. that are relevant for this province right now. One is it's now a pandemic of essential workers and their families. That's where paid sick leave comes in and the clear distinction between essential and non-essential workplaces. And the other one is it drives indoors the virus and not outdoors, meaning you have these two concepts that you just need to tackle properly. And that's a lot of common sense, a bit of science. But
0: very quickly, so you're saying so not invoking provincial sick leave is playing politics
4: uh no i'm not talking about playing politics but what i see is- Everybody's struggle, you know, uh, from from my layman's perspective as a scientist worldwide, uh, uh, politicians is that they do not appreciate that this wave that we're in right now is different than before. And if you have political considerations that you take into account, in addition to science and the current epidemiological situation, you're unlikely to get the pandemic under control. And this will eventually backfire for everybody.
0: All right. Uh, Hearing you on that. Thank you so much, Dr. Juni, for your time today.
4: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, the guilty verdict for the Minnesota police officer in the murder of George Floyd is still resonating in Canada, including on Parliament Hill and with politicians. Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was led from the courtroom in handcuffs after being found guilty of murdering George Floyd by kneeling on his neck for more than nine minutes. The guilty verdict is seen as a step forward in the fight against racial injustice, but only a step. Much the same way it is being viewed here in Canada. I'm joined now by two members of the Parliamentary Black Caucus. Quebec Liberal MP Greg Fergus is the chair of the caucus. And Senator Wanda Thomas-Bernard is a member of the Progressive Senate group representing Nova Scotia. Uh, Thank you both for taking time to be with me this evening. I do appreciate it. Mr. Fergus, let me begin with you. Uh, What was your reaction when you heard this verdict?
2: relief um it wasn't joy it wasn't justice um it was just relief uh too often uh we've seen in 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 many cases where uh, in case the united states african uh, americans have uh, been killed uh, uh, by police officers Um, there isn't the videotape proof and even sometimes when there is proof uh, the verdicts from from the, the trials are are not what uh, most people who are outside of it would see, uh, would would expect. Uh, so it was really relief that um, the evidence and the verdict matched up.
0: Senator Thomas Bernard, uh, what about you? What was your reaction when you saw this verdict come down?
5: I agree with uh, MP Fergus. I felt a sense of relief because I was very worried that there would not be a guilty verdict. And then of course, worried about the impact that that would have around the world because the murder of George Floyd certainly set off a global awakening about the reality of um, police brutality against African people. So the evidence that we had, thanks to the bravery Mm. of this young woman, and I'd like to say her name, Darnella Frazier, This 17-year-old videotaped that, and she was in the presence of her very young cousin. So I felt a sense of relief because I hope that for those directly involved who witnessed it, I hope that it brings them a bit of peace and also for Mr. Floyd's family, but for all of us who witnessed this over and over and over again.
0: Right. Um, I, I felt a sense of relief. Mr. Fergus, uh, why is this verdict in the United States so important to a Canadian audience?
2: <laughs> I think it's, uh, it, it, it's so important to every audience around the world. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, Peter, that when uh, that videotape had come out, it really sent a message. Um, it sent a message that my life doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Um, and the, it sent me, it was traumatic. Uh, to watch that. Um, it sent me into a depression. And the only way I got out of it was seeing so many other people, not just blacks, but uh, a lot of uh, my, my fellow Canadians, white Canadians, stand up and say, that's just not on. And to see that same movement not only in Canada, but around the world, uh, people saying that that just doesn't matter. That, that That's just not a reality we want to be part of anymore. We can see that racism kills and we want something to be done so that we can live in a better society. That's what brought me out of it. Um, And... uh I, I think that's the reason why it matters to people in Canada. and matters to people around the world.
0: Senator Thomas Bernard, let, let, if I can, let's, let's talk about what's happening in this country and the need to to, to deal with uh, problems in this country and focuses on systemic racism and discrimination. This week's budget was a, a chance to do more. A total of nearly $500 million has been earmarked for the additional investments and changes in black community support programs, enhanced collection of race-based data, public service recruitment, mental health supports and black entrepreneurial uh, organizations. Uh, Do you believe that's the kind of spending that will begin to help to deliver change?
5: That's part of it. And it certainly is a significant part to have money uh, earmarked uh, specifically to address these issues is very, very important. Now, of course, the rollout of that in terms of how it happens, how funds are allocated, the uh, conversations that need to happen within communities to ensure that the right actions are being targeted to the right communities in ways that are really going to make a difference. But beyond that, we also need to see a cultural shift, not just in policing, but in all of our, our organizations and all of our institutions where we know that, that systemic racism exists. That where we know that systemic anti-black racism exists, we need to have change in those spaces, so that when decisions are being made, when policies are being developed, they're developed with a different set of lenses, hmm. so that we take uh, the totality of these issues into account.
0: Mr. Fergus, what's your view on that? And and uh, you know where where what you see? I mean, the spending in this budget is, is that merely a beginning?
2: Well. To, you know, it started in 2018 in the 2019 budgets where for those two budgets for the first time ever you saw spending that was directed at Canada's black communities. But what we've seen in, in the 2021 budget is that the prime minister really made a strong engagement and he took it up, you know, a quantum level in terms of support uh, to, say, uh, to say that, you know, black lives do matter. And we do have a problem. There is anti-black racism which exists uh, in Canada. There is systemic discrimination which exists uh, to many uh, different racialized and Indigenous communities. And we need, you know, if we're going to if we're going to fight climate change, if we're going to build a sustainable economy, well, we all have to be there together. And this is the reason why we're making these investments now. The Sanders is so right. Um, it's it's more than about the money. It's also about the attitudes. Uh, that we have, and that changing, changing people's minds and hearts on how they see uh, black communities, and how the black community sees ourselves as well. And uh, I know, after uh, traveling this country, uh, this great country, that you know people want to, con- black people want to contribute uh, to the prosperity uh, of our country.
0: Uh, Senator, let me finish on you. The, the greatest challenge, of course, is of change. Is is. Uh, a lack of momentum and and, uh, something that can make it stall. Uh, Is what you're seeing in the country now, are you heartened by where you think we're headed and do you feel a sense of momentum and what's required to keep it going?
5: I feel a sense of critical hope. And that's important, that can shift for me. And I think it's a shift for others when when you feel a sense of hope, a sense of critical hope, then you feel the change will happen and if we have essentially all hands on deck working towards the same types of changes then i think we we have some momentum uh building and and we do see this building we need more more needs to happen obviously but i think that we're on a positive path forward
0: all right. M.P. Fergus and uh, Senator Thomas Bernard, uh, thank you for your perspectives this evening. And I uh, know and I hope we'll get a chance to talk again. But thanks for your time tonight. It's been good to speak with you. Thank, you. thank you. That's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. For all of us here at CPAC, thanks again for watching.